Welcome to Viewpoints with Brenda. I'm your host, Brenda Ntambirwechi, and on this podcast, you'll hear plenty of conversations with African professionals, changemakers, innovators, influencers, and entrepreneurs from all sectors. My guest today is Natalie Bitature, who is currently the Chief of Staff at Simba Group, an East African group of companies spanning hospitality, energy, telecom, real estate, and a foundation. In this capacity, Natalie oversees operations, impact, and partnerships across these sectors within Uganda. Natalie is also the founder of Musana Cuts, a social enterprise building solar-powered street food vending carts, and her, an online mentorship platform with over 3,000 young African women. She has been recognized by Forbes 30 Under 30, the World Bank, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the World Economic Forum as a business leader and innovator. She has been appointed as a board of directors with both Uganda Property Holdings Limited and the Macquarie Innovation and Incubation Center. Natalie is also a board member for the Queen Abenacho Foundation, Startup Hub, Capital Solutions Social Innovation Fund, Save the Children Africa, and their Women's Network. So Natalie, welcome to Viewpoints. I'm very excited to have you. Thank you for having me, Brenda. I'm excited to be here. You are arguably one of the youngest C-suite female executives in Uganda. I wanted to ask you if there are any moments in your career that have surprised you in terms of how you were treated by people generally in the workplace and elsewhere, given that you have a famous last name and you're female. (laughs) Where can I begin? (laughs) I've had a lot of those moments. (laughs) There's good moments and there's bad ones. I think earlier in my career when I was younger, my father used to put me in a lot of leadership positions early. He wanted to, as he'd say, throw me in the deep end and I'd figure it out. So a lot of the time I was the only woman in a room or the youngest in a room by quite a bit. On a good day, I was ignored. On a bad day, they make fun of you. They don't listen to what you're saying. I actually had some men walk into my office and I had a marketing manager sitting there who was a man. And they completely like turned away from me, pulled the chairs from my desk to face him and say, hello, boss. So now we've come to you to talk about this. And I remember <laughs> so shocked. <laughs> right. Becoming from my family, I'm the oldest in my family. And just the way my dad has always treated me and taken me to work with him and never made me feel less than because I'm a woman. It was a really big wake up call when I was in the work world and he wasn't there to protect me. I came with this sense of entitlement, like I now have this title, I'm the responsible one, I'm really trying and doing my best, but the respect and the understanding doesn't come automatically. So I had a lot of moments like that where people just assumed I was a secretary or assumed I was in the wrong place or I didn't know what I was talking about or fought against what I was saying. So I had to sort of learn to take it in my stride and just keep doing the work and let the work speak for itself. It made me learn how to work harder and to show what I'm doing and to show the value that I bring. And that's something I try to teach young women now because we all still struggle with this. As much as we're making progress, there's still so much progress to be made. So there's so much that can happen. Now that I'm a bit older, and I think also the PR has really helped because now when I enter rooms, most of the time, someone there has already heard of me and not heard of me as Peter Turi's daughter, but heard of my work, of what I've done. So by the time I get there, I'm not starting as an underdog or being ignored or being made fun of. It's at least someone has advocated for me or suggested that I should be there or invited me to these different types of rooms. So now I have these really wonderful moments where ladies come up to me and tell me something they learned from one of my videos 
or something that I said that inspired them or something in their lives that they've changed because of what they heard about me. And those are the moments that I live for now and make me so happy and make me keep going because I know there are so many more women who need to hear these messages. There's more women who need to be inspired to make the changes in their life so they can also be inspiration to the women around them. So in certain circumstances, there's still this mentality, as you've mentioned, of an old boy network. And in the C-suite, it's obviously very prevalent in most companies. So people often wonder about differences between how men and women lead. And what, in your experience, has been those differences? I find this such a fascinating topic. I'm so glad I live in a time where there's now studies and people actively working on this, that every week on my LinkedIn, I see something new about it because we are so different. And what annoys me is that the system was built by men for men. So we are the ones disrupting the system. Actually, yesterday I saw a friend of mine, Liz in Tajira in Kenya, was talking about Break the Bias for Women's Day. And she said one of the challenges she's had in her career, because she's very successful as a woman in Kenya, but she's always described as the stubborn one, the hard-headed one, the disruptor, the difficult one, the problematic one. And she's like, we as women have to stop being labeled this and we should not feel bad about this. The system was not designed for us. So of course we're going to disrupt it. Of course we're going to be the difficult ones trying to break it and change it. It doesn't mean we are difficult as individuals or there's something wrong with us. And I really love that because the truth is the system is not designed for us. Women lead in such a different way. We are so much more compassionate. We're more multifaceted. We can handle more things, absorb different types of information at the same time and synthesize it. Men are very good at focusing on one task in front of them at a time, but it's just that our brains are different. There's science behind it. And now with experience and time, there's studies showing the differences. Women are less risk averse. Women are more inclusive. Women are able to motivate the team and keep morale going in a different way. And I don't just mean in a maternalistic way. Not all women are maternal, and it's not that we are treating people like our children. A lot of us don't have children, but we are more inclusive in the way that we gather the staff and look out for them and notice the small things. Something I'm always talking about is emotional intelligence and being able to manage yourself, but also to understand other people. There's now science that shows how much our emotions are part of every day. Instead of labeling women are emotional and emotions should not be in the workplace, we are all human beings. Emotions are driving us in so many ways. If we pretend it's not there, we're hurting ourselves, not doing a service to ourselves and our companies. So I think there are so many skills that women have just because we are forced to do emotional labor from when we are younger. So we are more skilled at managing that. So once we're in the workplace, We're more attentive, we're more understanding, we're more loyal. We understand how to manage people in a different way from men. And at the end of the day, all companies are run by people, by other human beings. So there's so much men can learn from us and there's so much adjustment that needs to be made in the way we approach leadership, in the way we approach management, in the way that we see these things, perceive them, the stigmas that need to be removed. And this is all going to happen with more women in higher level positions, setting examples, changing the things, opening the doors as we all move forward. And you spoke about this briefly, about overcoming gender-related bias. How have you personally overcome any gender-related roadblocks in your career? Me, I'm like a bulldozer Bambi. I have a fighting spirit. The thing is... (laughs) You have to. They're the only women who survive. By the way, if you look at the women at the C-suite level, they're all fighters. You're not going to keep any of us quiet in a meeting. But that's the only way we've reached there. And it makes me feel like it's 
fair for introverts firstly or for women who are not outspoken as like naturally i think i've become more outspoken i had to become more of a fighter than it's in my nature just because of the situation i was in and it's something i'm always teaching young women i'm like there's no such thing as shy don't let anyone convince you you're shy you have to outgrow that because otherwise you won't get anywhere you have to speak up you have to fight for your rights you have to advocate for yourself and unfortunately this is not something we're taught from a young age if anything as women were taught more be quiet don't be seen don't be heard be out of the way be on the sidelines so it's so counterintuitive when you're older to learn how to speak up to push yourself and now i encourage all the women who i help with their CVs you have to brag you have to put your points there the facts on top and you have to advocate for yourself because if you don't who is going to do it for you how are people supposed to know what you're about it makes me feel uncomfortable but the value is so much so now i don't even feel guilty yes these are all my accomplishments these are my awards you lead with that because it's going to help me it's going to help me get that client or that contract or that opportunity it's going to open more doors for other women so i had to learn how to move past that and it's really helped yeah and one of the things i've come to learn about you as obviously as i follow you and listen to you speak and even when we speak privately is just that you are a critical thinker and there's always something new you've learned or there's always some different perspective or something that you know you're always pushing people to think in a different perspective so how has critical thinking contributed to your leadership role at simba and how would you encourage people generally to improve on their critical thinking skills that is a very good observation i think that is something we're lacking as a workforce in africa generally our education system is letting us down there because it's so crucial you know we live in times where things are changing all the time what you learn in any industry right now is going to be completely irrelevant in 5 to 10 years the science will have changed the techniques will have changed the information what the innovation it's happening so fast we can't be learning facts anymore we all live in an age of google anything you need to know you google it you don't need to be cramming facts what's important is how you absorb those facts how you can analyze how you research how you take in information and you can change it into something else you can see it in a whole other way personally i work across six different sectors every day i can't be an expert in everything i can't know the details the technical stuff i don't have any kind of technical qualification my only skill set is my ability to think and see things across the board to see those connections to overcome the problems to be solution oriented and i think that has helped me so much to move in any sector and it's helped my confidence because it means i can work in any sector but that is so important no matter what job you have any job in this day and age we're in 2022 now all kids should be learning this all workers should be learning this it's not too late and it's still useful it's still needed because things are moving so fast you have to be able to connect the dots to think outside the box to be able to overcome the problems that happen along your day we have to move away from this mentality of oh boss this happened so i didn't do it oh this happened i don't know what to do you have to be able to solve these problems to fix things to make decisions on the go these are the soft skills they call them but these are the things that i think are more crucial anyone can learn anything technical these days you can go on youtube and become an engineer you can understand everything you might not get the certification but you figure it out i have an accountant here who is doing all our renovations in the hotel his qualification is in accounting but he reads he learns he watches videos he figures out how to do anything he's become a whole mini engineer on his own because he has that ability to think critically to be problem 
oriented. He looks at the challenge and looks at all the different options. How can I solve it? How can I use the resources that I have to figure out how to make this change? And I think this is something we have to practice in workplaces. We have to create an environment where people are not afraid to fail, where people can ask questions. Because this environment that we have where you're given instructions and you're just supposed to follow them cannot work. That works in an industrial age, in the agricultural times. It works if we were 100 years ago, if we were still clerks working for the colonialists, where we just had to follow instructions by rote. But right now it doesn't work. There is no industry, there's no company where you're just giving people instructions and they can just follow them blindly. People need to be empowered to think critically, to ask questions, to change things, give them a task and let them figure out how to solve it in their own way. It doesn't have to be done the way you would have done it. It needs to be done the way they can do it. They will come up with something different, no matter the level of seniority of a person. Someone who does something day in, day out has more experience in it than their supervisor, who is now at a management level. The way they used to do it three years ago is not the way they're doing it now. So we need to create these environments and these cultures where we encourage people to think critically. We encourage them to try different options, to come up with different solutions, to fail, to ask questions, and to not be ashamed or punished for it. Yeah, I agree with you. And to be honest, I feel like since I'd left the whole Ugandan workforce and moved abroad, I think the biggest skill I've learned over the last couple of years or the last decade, I can't believe it's almost 10, but (laughs) has been critical thinking, you know, and no one transaction is going to be the same. You have to unlearn and relearn with, you know, everything that comes your way. So pivoting to Simba, what, I know we've spoken about this, but I wanted you to tell the story. What inspired you to join the family business? You know, I can't say I was inspired. It was always the same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Let me not lie. <laughs> okay, why did you join the family business? No one aspires to join their family business. If anything, you have moments where you're like, how did I end up here? Or I have like little fantasies. I used to talk to one of my friends who's also in her family business. Like, don't you ever just like dream about having a job? <laughs> She's like, yeah, imagine that. A nine to five, a steady salary. You go home and nothing is your problem. And we just laugh. Yeah. Ah, it's a whole other wild ride. That's the truth. I thought about leaving at a point. I wanted to actually get work experience out of the family business. So when I moved for my master's, I gave away everything. I said goodbye to everyone. I said, you know what? I'll be back in five years. Let me go work in other countries, learn something new, and then I'll come back. And just because of how it played out with Musana and Uganda and like coming back, it worked out. But now that I look back, this was always the way it was meant to happen. And I don't think... If I had had a job, I'm sure I'd have learned other things, been on a different path, but I wouldn't have been able to grow as much as I've grown as fast as I have. The amount of time I could put in in a family business, the opportunities that I get, because when it's your family business, you're kind of, you don't have any sort of confidentiality issues. You're allowed into every room because what are you going to do? It's your family business secrets. You're not going to share them or sell them out, you know? So I think even from when I was younger, being able to sit in as my dad's assistant into meetings because I was his daughter, even high level meetings, even private sector meetings, things that are not our business. I was able to sit there and learn. I was actually telling my younger brother this the other day, because I got to sit in on a lot of meetings where I learned so much, not just from him, but from his peers, because I was just sitting there taking notes as his assistant to follow up. 
my brother with his big degrees and what he's like what you want me to go back and be an assistant i'm like you have no idea how much you absorb just because of access and i think that's an advantage i had because i could go places with my dad i got to see what he gets to do how he does it meet people that he does it with just by being like a fly on the wall quiet there in the corner but i got to absorb so much and it helped me to be more ambitious because i know something exists you know you can only dream as far as you've seen you see a nice house on youtube and like wow i want a house like that but if you've never seen a house like that you don't even know that you want it so being exposed to high level meetings high level business people opportunities how they negotiate how they handle contracts how board meetings would run it took my mind to a whole other level of this is what life can be like from when i was younger so it helped me to aspire to that and work my way to that much faster i think so that's the advantage i think of being in a family business of course there's so many other challenges but you have to look at the opportunities and the bright side others you'll drown in the challenges because there's no off button there's no day off there's no leave there's no you know when people have like those automatic emails that say sorry i'm away on leave for 10 days if you need something you can go to this person <laughs> whenever i get those emails i'm like hey mama so <laughs> there's no day i can yeah. have that in the year <laughs> So there are yeah. things, but you just have to laugh and get on with it because it comes with so many more benefits. That's how I've learned to see it. You spoke briefly about Musana. For me, I feel like that was a lot of foresight on your part to get into like this sort of green energy and solar business. What inspired Musana, and where is it now, and what's happening with it? So Musana kind of happened by accident. When I went to do my masters, I was studying social entrepreneurship, and we entered a social entrepreneurship competition a student competition for fun personally i didn't even want to do the competition i was so busy with like conferences and classes and parties and things but my roommate really insisted we have to at least try and then we tried and then we won the first round and i was like this was not in my plans i didn't want to start another business i was just traumatized from starting my first business in uganda i had been working with my family i thought this was a break but it kind of just grew organically so we just kept going with it and now musana has grown to the point where we've changed even the strategy we're now a b2b company so more than selling cards to individual vendors we now have different partnerships with companies where they buy like several cards at a time for different projects for different industries it's really interesting and it's changed so much what i i like about musana it's so different from my family businesses because i get to experience like the startup road and like how that journey goes in a different way and to do something completely separate in our industry we were never going to work in otherwise the ceo now is a cousin of mine who started as an intern for musana he used to just come and help me on busy days at events so he understood the business he understood the vendors and he grew with time the busier i was with other projects he kept stepping up and showing up and doing things and having ideas and managing partnerships so now he runs it most of the time i do check-ins with him i make sure it's going well send opportunities and i'm happy with the track that it's on because i think this is more sustainable and in this way it has more impact and can grow in areas that i didn't think it could grow so that's the beauty of having partners and seeing how opportunities pop up and you just say yes and okay let's figure it out yeah it's amazing and for everyone who's listening Musana Cards is a solar-powered street food vending cards. I think it's so innovative and it really solves a problem. Are there any moments in the history of 
Simba group that have made you particularly proud? Oh, personally, <laughs> I think when Sky's Hotel opened, that was a big one. I think it happened so fast and I was so stressed and I was working so much. I didn't even take a moment to like take it in. The day the hotel opened was New Year's. And I remember I knew it was going to be a crazy day. But from the moment I arrived at the hotel, I didn't sit. I didn't drink water. I didn't take a moment or a breath for like 16 hours. I remember it was like 4 a.m. that night and I was standing at the reception and all of a sudden I realized my back is killing me. And I didn't really understand why. And I sat on the floor like, okay, the day is done. Now we have to be planning for tomorrow. But it all happened so fast and it had taken so much because I was part of the construction team. And then understanding all the brand standards for Marriott, there were so many hurdles. There were so many things we had to go through, all the training, the recruitment, the onboarding. I had never been part of a project so big, the scale of it. So I think it's only maybe a year ago, I took a moment standing on one of the rooftops of Skies and I was like, wow, you know, like it's actually functioning. There's no emergency. There's no fire. People know what they're doing. Guests are happy. Like we actually did it from this construction site that we walked on how many years ago. That was all dust and chaos and this is not working. We have to import this. We have to break this. We have to try this. You have to take a moment. And, and now I learned that and I remember to take a moment to appreciate how far you've come. Because when you're always in the hustle and the grind, you're always looking for the next challenge, the next problem. You're trying to foresee this. Okay, now we have to do this. Now we have to do that. When you run a business, there's no such thing as like an easy day or a good day or like everything just went perfectly and we can relax. There's always something you can be planning for. You can be doing better. And it's also something I learned you have to, for your own team morale, you have to stop and thank people. You have to get people to stop and say, you know what, guys, you did a great job. Valentine's Day was a success. Or you know what? We got through New Year's. Well done for this. Yes, there were these problems, these challenges, but we did this much. We made this much. We succeeded in this area. This is new. This went well. And appreciate it. And it's like to stop and smell the roses. Because otherwise, life is all struggle and hustle and go, go, go. You never appreciate what you've done. You never pat yourself on the back. And it's not just for you. It's for everyone. So that's something that I had to learn to do because I don't think my parents do it very often. I think... The monument at Skies for my mom was the first time I've seen my parents actually stop and be grateful for what they have and sort of appreciate how far they've come from where they've come. They tend to be, let's keep going, let's keep going, what else, this project, that project. So it was nice to see. And they did that before the hotel opened. So I didn't get it at the time. I thought it was more about them. But I can understand because once the hotel opened, it just became even crazier. Like there was so much more stress. So for me now, I try to put that in practice where I get the whole team and we thank each other and we acknowledge what we've done and we stop to smell the roses and be grateful for how far we've come. Wow. I mean, speaking to you is always such an experience for me. I always really enjoy it because I feel like I learned something every time. Aww. I'd like to thank you for coming on. Natalie hosts her own podcast with her father, Patrick Bittature, called Uncommon Perspectives. And if you want to find Natalie, she's on Facebook, she's on Instagram, she's on Twitter. And I just want to thank you, Natalie, for coming on. It's always nice speaking to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed this. This was interesting questions. I don't get these often. <laughs> so thank you again for coming on. I appreciate it, Brenda. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to Viewpoints with Brenda. 
keep the conversation going, follow us on Instagram at Viewpoints by BN and follow me on Twitter at Kasabiti. That's K-A-S-A-B-I-I-T-I. To hear more conversations like this, follow the podcast, subscribe, like, and feel free to leave us a rating. See you next time.